What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. We are three dead World War I pilots with nothing better to do. I'm Austin Terry, and I'm joined by my best pals, Matt Johnson and Keith Baker. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing good. Honestly, I've been dead for 80 years, and I'm guessing one of you guys wished me back into existence, and I truly do appreciate it. So I basically don't remember anything, and now here I am sitting in a chair ready to do a review of Wonder Woman 84. What an honor. Happy to be here, Austin. Hope you're doing well. Hope you had a great holiday. Keith, let me bring you in. How are you guys doing? Doing all right. I was just telling Austin, just got done watching this movie, and um, now I wish I would be dead for 80 years because... I don't know about you guys, but I'm not happy. Not happy. <laughs> That's a strong opening. I didn't expect that. Keith, right out the gate. This might be Keith's boldest opening yet. Keith, uh, Keith coming in hot. And as you can tell on today's show, we've got another new movie to discuss. Much to the dismay of Patty Jenkins, Wonder Woman 1984 is now available for streaming on HBO Max. Releasing on Christmas Day, this is the highly anticipated sequel to 2017's Wonder Woman. The entire cast and crew is back to continue the adventures of Diana Prince in 1980s Washington, D.C. Matt, with everyone back, there's no way this could be a letdown, right? Not for me. I really liked it. Uh, so I I guess we probably should have pointed to Keith on that one. <laughs> just ask the same question for Keith. I hated it. Uh, no, but yeah, just to yeah not give my personal thoughts on the movie. Yeah, obviously we've talked at length about covid and just how that affects the industry so this all this was one of those weird ones where if i remember right this movie was supposed to come out in november 2019 and it wasn't delayed because of covid they just delayed it because they're like you know what wonder Woman's gonna be a summer blockbuster again let's push it to june 2020 so the movie was already done and then june rolls around and they're like fuck we should have released it last year <laughs> so now it's gonna get pushed to 2021 but then hbo max swings in like austin said much to the dismay of all the filmmakers patty jenkins included and they drop it for no additional cost, on Christmas Day, streaming free for 30 days. And yeah, I gotta say, you know, I, I, I'm I, glad we can finally see it. Would it have been cool to see it in a theater? I think it would have probably heightened the experience, at least for me. But I'm glad I got to sit down with my family, you know, after doing all our Christmas shenanigans and just had a fun time watching a movie. So that's where I'm at. Yeah, I guess the main reason I mentioned Patty Jenkins being dismayed in the intro is because she specifically has come out and said she will not return for Wonder Woman 3 if uh, Warner Warner Bros. continues to release their movies on HBO Max. So directors certainly are upset, like you said, Matt. I mean, the, the theaters are not operating at full capacity. I just don't get, what do they expect? Honestly, Keith, that's the most frustrating thing to me about all these comments. And, and you know, we talked about Tenet and how Christopher Nolan was upset. I get that directors want their movies in theaters. And obviously, this, this has been a hard year for tons of businesses, movie theaters included. But like you said, Keith, I don't know what they expect. We can't really go to movie theaters right now. So I think it makes sense if you have a movie that's made, at least for this year, put it out on a streaming service because everybody is desperate for new content and everybody look, is looking for new stuff to watch. Yeah, Nolan, like we talked about with Tenet, is the one that I just wish he'd shut up because he got to release. He he probably killed a bunch of people because of COVID because he was like, you know what? Fuck you. I'm releasing Tenet in July in the heights of all the all the cases. <laughs> it's coming out in theaters. And, and, and it did terribly at the box office but it came out so why is he bitching that now it's supposed to be on home like video demand that was gonna happen anyway anyway talking about more relevant stuff i do get it. it it sucks because it is easy for us to say like and i've said it before it's like i mean we we don't have a choice here i don't want to go to a full movie theater and even though you can do private screenings and stuff it's like that's not going to get them the money they want but for someone like patty jenkins and gal gadot i'm sure um a lot of these people sign contracts like they get for, you know, to simplify the terms, they get a base salary, but a large portion of their money probably comes from a percentage of the box office. So it's like, I'm sure someone like Patty Jenkins would, would rather just say, look, I know you want to release it. I know it's been done forever, but I, th I think it could be cool. It would be a better experience in theaters. And then for me personally, I'm going to get the paycheck I deserve and that I signed on for if we wait to release it in theaters. So I get personally why they're pissed. It's like they're losing out on huge amounts of money that they should have gotten at any other time. But for us as the viewer, like Austin kind of said, it doesn't really make a difference to me. I had a really fun time watching it at home. But yeah, it is obviously a weird time and we have tons more movies, a lot of them coming in 2021. If all things stay the same, that will be going straight to streaming. So how do they make their profits from streaming? Do they do it off of views or... Do they do it well, off that's of the thing. I don't think what? they get it. Yeah. 
I think I th- that's where it gets so tricky because I think they do it off subscriptions because you can't sign up for something just to watch Wonder Woman. So it's like I think the way they track it is like whenever Wonder Woman's coming out on Christmas Day, they probably look at like their normal amount of subscription signups and then they look like I guess maybe who knows just like a few days leading up to it how that might change and if people start paying for it then maybe they pay the creators i have no idea it's it's much more tricky than theaters obviously so i think that's why some of them are like personally pissed where they're losing out on money but i don't really get how it all works yeah i mean i certainly would rather have seen this movie in a theater i love going to the movies but it doesn't make sense for this year and and the current time we're in so i i'm perfectly fine with movies being available on streaming it does suck for the cast and crew and and everybody that worked on it um you know because they don't get to see their movie be out in theaters but at the same time I, i just don't think there's any benefit in coming out Every time there's a, a major movie coming on streaming and saying like, oh, we hate this. It shouldn't be available on streaming. Like, I think for this year, it makes sense. And I hope they don't continue it after this year. But I think for right now and, and, and where we're living, it makes sense. It's also an interesting conversation of how something like this will affect Wonder Woman 3, because you're going to get infinitely more people watching Wonder Woman 1984, because is if somebody just has an HBO subscription, they can watch it right now. So it's like you're getting way more eyes on it than you would have. So maybe in a few years when Wonder Woman 3 comes out, they actually make way more money than they thought because people are now interested in this franchise if they weren't previously because they didn't really want to go see it, like go see it in the theater or they didn't see the first one in the theater. So now they can watch all this stuff a lot easier. So who knows? Maybe it'll end up being a good thing in the long run. But yeah, it is a short term difficulty for sure. All right. Well, speaking of people watching Wonder Woman 1984, the three of us have all done that. Let's go ahead and share our quick non-spoiler thoughts on the movie as a whole. I guess I'll go first just because uh, we got to save Keith's, I think, best for last year, <laughs> potentially. Um, and I know Austin isn't super high on it either. So, yeah, I'll, I'll just keep it quick. I, I really enjoyed it. I certainly understand why people wouldn't. And that's kind of a shitty thing to say because it's basically me just kind of copping out. But I really liked a lot of it. I loved the performances. I loved the villain. I loved kind of moving forward in time. Was this time period as interesting as the last? No, I don't think so. But still, I had a fun time with the action, and I was kind of surprised. I think maybe the stuff that Keith and Austin weren't super high on, I'm going to assume that I conversely was a bit more interested. I really liked kind of the dialogue and time that characters got to spend together. Could it have been shortened to make this not a two and a half hour movie that was primarily that? Yeah, I think so. But, you know, I got I got to be honest, as the movie went on, it, it kind of flew by for me. And I, I am surprised to say that because I don't usually feel that way about movies this long. But I really had a good time. So my non-spoiler thought is if you have HBO or you have like a free trial, I check it out. If you've seen the first one and want to see where things go, I think you'll get something out of it. I think it's a fun watch. And at the very least, the performances sustained me through it. So I'd recommend it. So where are you guys at? Yeah, man, honestly, I think you can skip this one. I don't think it really added anything um, in terms of the experience of of Wonder Woman as a character or the DCEU as a whole. I really don't feel like I learned anything new about her. Um, I don't really get how it fits into the DCEU. I get it's a standalone story, but I just I don't think it didn't add any new anything new for me. I really didn't get a whole lot out of it. I think there are some great individual performances, but the story as a whole, I think, is a jumbled mess. Um, I don't really buy any of the characters' uh, motivations. I think it's way too long. And I don't even think the action or or humor really works for me in this one either. So overall, it's a, it's a bit of a stinker. Yeah, I second everything you just said. Uh, without spoiling anything, I'll just say I really liked the beginning of this movie. And then after that, it just tanked for me. Uh, didn't like any of the characters. I think they could have come up with a way stronger villain. I just kind of forgot this was a Wonder Woman movie about halfway through and then kind of remembered at the end uh you know that it was still a dc uh, comic movie i don't know it's just it was an odd movie i don't really don't know how to describe it without giving away spoilers so that's all i'll say for right now weirdly enough keith for this movie being called a wonder woman movie the wonder woman stuff is kind of shoehorned in there it's not doesn't really feel like it's a big focus of the plot yeah i agree there was just a lot of stuff shoved into this movie that made no sense at all and uh i just felt kind of lost and and then and just bored by the end of it. I was just ready for it to be over. Yeah, I get that. I, like I said, whenever I was kind of telling everyone that I liked it, I do get why people wouldn't for those reasons primarily. Although I do disagree with some of what you guys are saying. Um, I would say, though, uh, in terms of it not fitting in, I was thinking about it. Do any of the DC movies fit into each other? Not really. They're all kind That's of standalones. Yeah. I mean, you have <laughs> Birds of Prey that the only thing it carried over was Harley Quinn from Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad 
nothing, and doesn't seem we're going to get much carryover to the sequel. Aquaman, Mera at one point goes, remember Steppenwolf? And he's like, yeah! And then that's all you get. Uh, Shaz- Shazam is literally nothing, except you get a headless Henry Cavill at the end. Um, so you guys get my point. I, I Again, I hear what you're saying. I guess the only argument you could make for those tying in is, is all those are origin stories, so that's why they are going to have their own standalone story. Yeah. And I, I don't really need them all to link together. I, I'm not asking for that. I guess... And we'll talk about this more later. What I'm asking for is if we are going to do side stories, if you want to call it that, they need to be interesting and fun to watch. And I don't think this one is either of that. Okay. I get that. That's where I, that's where I disagree. But I think if you just compare this to the first one, I mean, the first one I thought was pretty awesome. It's, you know, it's high up there in the list of my DC movies. The first one is way better than this. Yeah. I, I just didn't feel the, the superhero-ness of this one at all. This movie ruined my Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. So spoilers, everybody, if you haven't seen Wonder Woman 1984, do not listen any further in this podcast. Give us a pause. Go check out the movie if you want to, and then come on back to hear our thoughts. All right, so let's go ahead and run down our cast and crew here. This movie is directed by Patty Jenkins. It's written by Patty Jenkins and Jeff Johns, composed by Hans Zimmer. And for our cast, we have Gal Gadot as Diana Prince, a.k.a. Wonder Woman. Chris Pine back magically as Steve Trevor. Kristen Wiig as Barbara Minerva, a.k.a. Cheetah. And Pedro Pascal as Max Ward. I love Pedro Pascal, but not in this movie. I love him in Mando. I love him in Narcos. Not that not saying his acting was bad, but just his character was weak for me, and so I, I wish he wouldn't have taken this role. It kind of uh kind of hurt him in my eyes. Um, I will disagree with you there, Keith. I think all four of the leads here are great. I think I think all their performances are fine. Um, Pedro Pascal, I think, is actually really good as the villain. I just don't like what they did in terms of the material for all these characters in this movie. Yeah, I think all the performances are great. I would even say they're great. But I do even I who like the movie clearly the most out of us. I. I can agree that there are certainly some specifically character moments, not the acting, just the character moments that are odd and weird. But I think I kind of liked Max Lord as a villain overall. I really liked his drive and I liked his reasoning to get this thing to make himself successful. And I really enjoyed the whole one wish aspect, but I'm going to take something in return. And as the movie went on, I really liked what he was taking in return. I liked the power. I really thought it was quite interesting and Clearly, he got corrupted by it. I like that his, like, mortal body is slowly dying from it. And I thought it let... As the movie went on, it led to some really cool Pedro Pascal acting moments. Um, But yeah, again, we'll talk about this again because, you know, Wonder Woman has some criticism for its third act. This one might be worse. And um, how they kind of wrap up some of these characters, I would say, is is quite bad. But um, I yeah, to keep it simple, I really like the performances themselves. Gal Gadot, I mean... She's just pretty damn fantastic as Wonder Woman, I feel like, even though it sounds like you guys, you know, are kind of down on the character, which, again, I can understand aspects of it in this movie. She's just great. Chris Pine is always so fun to watch. And um, Kristen Wiig, I think she was great as well. I just, again, kind of my same thing about Max Lord is as as the movie goes on, it's more of character issues I had with her, not the acting. So I kind of had the same thing with the the same problem with the villains is just character stuff. And Matt, as you know, because we've talked about this on our DC Fandone episode, I was never really that high on Kristen Wiig being casted as being cast as Cheetah. And I honestly thought she did great here. I don't like the animation stuff that they use for her character. But as a performance, I thought she did. I thought she kind of knocked it out of the park here. Yeah, I agree. I didn't like what they do with her character later on. Right. Right, but uh, right. yeah, but I, thought, I thought the performance is really cool because you really don't see her in stuff like this. You must see her in comedies like Bridesmaids yeah. and other uh, SNL and all that. But yeah, I thought she did a great job. And it's one of those things that we're going to have to talk about, unfortunately, that and it, it almost makes it weird that Jeff Johns was involved with writing this movie because it's like somebody with that kind of background, you would think. And now Patty Jenkins having done a Wonder Woman movie, you can just see the writer's room, man. They were like, OK. Cheetah is Wonder Woman's most iconic villain. We got to get her in there. How are we going to do it? Okay, we're going to do this cool, like, villain origin story. Cool. We have Barbara Minerva. That's from the comics. We can use that. It's like, okay, but how are we going to make her a cheetah? (laughs) And that's where it falls apart. 
That was fucking stupid. <laughs> and then she's not even still a cheetah at the end. I was like, what? Because, Keith, I wish you would have been there. Austin and I, we didn't record it for the podcast. We just uh, watched it and then talked about it after the fact. But when we were watching DC Fandom back in the summer, and they showed, like, the first, like, big main Wonder Woman trailer, I think we both, like, cringed when they showed a, a glimpse of Cheetah in her final form. And I was like, ugh, disgusting. I gotta say... <laughs> I thought it kind of looked cool at the end a little bit, but um, again, the character just by the end was was a bit bad. So. The thing that ruins me for her final form is is her hair. Her hair looks like it's falling out. I don't know why they. That was the one thing I I kind of understood why they did it from a design standpoint, but at the same time, it was weird that basically she completely transformed. Even her face, even though it's still Kristen Wiig's face, they clearly changed it a lot. But then they kind of just let her keep the same hair. So it was like the one thing that stood out as weird. I agree. But you, you brought up the fact that Jeff Johns was involved in this and, and obviously he's, you know, huge in the DC comics uh, world, but it, for everyone that is involved in this movie, it, it honestly feels like they either don't understand these characters or just really don't know what they want to do with them. Like, like I felt like they had a better understanding of who Wonder Woman is as a character in the first one than they did in this one. I don't feel like I learned anything new about Diana Prince in this movie. So I agree and disagree. I think that they did actually I do I do think they know these characters pretty well. But I will agree with Austin that I think for a lot of them they just didn't know what to do with it because they were kind of trapped with the sequel because they've said forever that Wonder Woman 3 will be in the present day. So they have said that. So now they're kind of trapped with this weird thing of this in between where you know, Wonder Woman, the first one, even though we'd already met her in the present, now the first actual movie is her origin back in World War One, And then we know the third one, the roadmap, is going to be present again. So now it's like, what do you do in the meantime? So it's kind of this weird thing. And so I do agree that they didn't know what to do with a lot of them. The one, again, where I disagree is I think this is a pretty cool interpretation of the Max Lord character. Um, I, I liked how they kind of transformed him into this oil magnet that discovers this stone and gets the power to grant wishes that way. So... I like that, but overall, I, I will agree with that point that you made, Austin. All right, well, Matt, let's let's go ahead and, and run through the plot summary here. Give me your little elevator pitch for what this movie is about. Let's see. Here we go. In 1984, decades after the events of World War One, Diana Prince continues to fight crime as Wonder Woman, although she is maintaining some form of anonymity. At work, she meets Barbara Minerva, a woman who idolizes and envies Diana for her confidence. After Wonder Woman foils an attempted robbery, the FBI asks Barbara to identify a cache of stolen antiquities. Then, businessman Maxwell Lord covets one of these, called the Dreamstone, hoping to save his failing oil company. Both Diana and Barbara unknowingly use the stone to fulfill their own desires. Diana wishes for her deceased lover, Steve Trevor, to return, while Barbara wishes to become more like Diana. Maxwell takes the Dreamstone and wishes to become the embodiment of the stone itself, and in turn grants its power to grant wishes. Maxwell becomes a powerful and influential figure as his body begins to slowly die, while leaving chaos and destruction in his wake as his wishes trigger instability and conflict. The stone grants a user their wish, but it exacts a toll in the process. The only way to reverse the exchange is by renouncing the wish or destroying the stone, which is no longer possible since Max destroyed the stone to become it. Max, upon learning from the president of a satellite broadcast system that can transmit signals globally, decides to use it to grant wishes to the entire world, inadvertently giving the United States more nuclear weapons, which threatens to start nuclear war with the Soviet Union. Barbara decides to join forces with Max to prevent Diana from harming him so she doesn't lose her powers. Steve convinces Diana to let go of him and renounce her wish, thus regaining her strength that she lost in the process. She then heads to the broadcast station and confronts Max and uses her lasso of truth to communicate with the world through him, thus convincing everyone to renounce their wishes. Oof, that's a lot to digest, and it is a big jumbled mess. <laughs> I yeah I didn't think it was too jumbled. I just thought the movie was too long, so it just felt like there was too maybe long. too much padding. But I, I was able to follow it at least. But there was a lot going on for sure. I think they need to explain how the stone works earlier in the movie because I I once they explained the stone, then I was like, okay, that's cool that Maxwell Lord is saying, here's your wish, but here's what I'm gonna take because that is that is the mechanics of the stone. You you'll get your wish granted, but then there's always a toll. But they kind of explain it in the third act. So for the first two acts, you're a little bit confused about how Maxwell works as a character in this movie. And I missed how the stone came to be. Where's the stone from? It was blessed or enchanted by the god of lies. 
And did Max know about it? He studied it? Yeah, he cl- he clearly knew how it worked. And I kind of like that they just left out the origin of the stone. Like like Austin said, they did say it was blessed by an evil god, which it was cool as opposed to Wonder Woman's lasso of truth that they set up. So I like that. Um, but I like that they left out, like, it's not like, well, where'd the stone come from? It's like, they didn't give us an origin. It's just there, which I liked. And then I also liked that it's not, whenever they went to Maxwell Lord's office, it wasn't like, how does he know about it? It's just, he has, he clearly has, like, he studied it. So he knew about it. So I like that. I will actually disagree. I, I really quite actually, one of my favorite parts of the movie was the setup of the stone. I, I really enjoyed how, I, I get what you're saying that it, it is, it does take a while before they concretely say it. But I guess I kind of like that maybe they didn't come out right away because clearly it's like, oh, here's what the stone do. It's rumored to do this. And then they have this really cool scene, which is one of my favorite bits of writing, actually, where this guy who works with them comes up. He's like, eh, funny. Really wish I had a coffee as he touches it. And then he walks on. And then like the guy's like, hey, I got a coffee. He's like, oh, that's fun. Uh, so I like that. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Clearly, there's something going on here. And then it's not too long after that that... um. There's a great scene between Diana and Barbara where I think Barbara's like, I mean, what would you wish for? Basically, like, this doesn't work, obviously, but what would you wish for? And she kind of closes her eyes like, oh, I know what I would wish for. So clearly wishing for Steve Trevor, cutting back to his watch, it starts ticking again. And then Barbara's like, I want to be Diana. So, yeah, it doesn't give us concrete answers for a while, but I kind of like the setup and I like that I was going I feel like I'm kind of figuring this out without them having to tell me. So it kind of felt cool. And then as it goes on, whenever Max gets it. I kind of felt like I knew enough to understand what was going on. And then as it built from there, seeing more of a villain use it, that's when I was like, okay, this is cool. I like I like the toll it takes, how that works. And then we find out, of course, in the process, we didn't know at the beginning that Diana's toll was that she loses her power. So it was like, I was kind of down for that. So I'll disagree there, but yeah. And I don't hate the stone by any means. I think the stone is fine and it's one of the better mechanics used in this movie. I, I also like how it leads to kind of the, the twist on Max Lord's like, telepathic powers in, in a way um like yeah. i think all that's cool i just think it's a little bit poorly executed because it, it, it takes so long for the reveal of how all this is working to come so i think that's the only thing i didn't like I, I wasn't confused or anything by any means but i've talked to a few other people who were really confused on how this how the mechanics of this work so i think if they had revealed it earlier maybe you don't lose people from the beginning yeah that's fair i think i'm sure there's a lot of people that were left confused if they yeah I, I don't even i don't know how to fix that i don't i don't know what to pay more attention or like maybe you need to know more backgrounds. I don't know what the, what the answer to that is. It worked for me, but I, I can, again, like a lot of things with this movie, I, I get why it, it won't for others for sure. All right, let's run down our main discussion topics here. So the first one I put on is just kind of, I mentioned it briefly a little bit ago in my just general thoughts. I wanted to see what you guys thought. So it seems like over the last few years, the general consensus is Wonder Woman is a pretty awesome movie. Um, and it, it kind of sounds like the main thing I would say the general public doesn't like is just that the third act becomes kind of just like a CG kind of bland action fest. So kind of a bit of a downer ending. And I personally agree with that. So I just wanted to get your guys' opinion on that. And do you think that they fix that, you know, supposed issue in this movie? I definitely don't think they fixed it in this movie. Um, the first Wonder Woman is my favorite DCEU film. I think it's so great. I, I kind of, I honestly love everything about it. I do think the stuff with Ares does get a little jumbled in the third act, but I still kind of like it. Um, in this movie, I think there is really only about a 20 minute sequence of events that's fun and enjoyable. Other than that, I, I don't really like the first act. I, I don't really like the third act. Um, the middle's fine, I guess, but overall, I, I just really, really have a lot of issues with this movie. Yeah. Um, first one, I'm with you, Austin. Loved it. Might be my either top or maybe second movie in the DCU. No complaints on it, really. I can't really think of anything. I just rewatched it the other day. It's pretty awesome. It's yeah, pretty awesome. it's really good. And it, honestly, Keith, I, I think the first one's better made, too, than this one. Like, There's a lot of the visual, infect, the visual effects in 1984 that don't look good like the slow motion something happened with the slow motion in this movie because it looks yeah. weird as hell <laughs> she looked like she looked like grant gusted on the cw flash show whenever he's she running. did dude <laughs> yeah it was it was bad uh but yeah but as far as this one goes the i really like the beginning of this one actually i like the i olympic, did too. the olympic games uh back on um i can never pronounce it the Themyscira. The the, how do you say it Themyscira. Themyscira. <laughs> Thinascara. There you go, Keith. There you go. Thinascara. Yeah, I really like the Olympic scenes on Thinascara. Uh, I really like Robin Wright's character. Yeah, I like her aunt kind of giving her that mentorship. That was cool. 
And I like the other, the beginning of her in 1984, uh, kind of just fighting crime there. It has a little montage there of her saving people from just, you know, petty crimes and all that. I thought that was really cool. Me too. I like the Themyscira stuff. I don't like the mall stuff. Um, I don't know. It it almost feels like this has two intros. Like, it, it felt like we either could have opened with Themyscira and skipped the mall, or we could have opened with the mall and, and skipped Themyscira. I do think the time we spend on Themyscira, while it's cool, I think it's too long for sure. Um, and it kind of stinks too, because it really doesn't tie into the rest of the movie other than we have to tell the truth. Yeah. That's all. That's, that's the only reason. It occupies like 30 minutes of the movie. Yeah. I most like the action more than I did the actual, what it contributed to the story. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think it was a really awesome scene. And while the message is simple, I did like how it paid off at the end, which is like, you took the shortcut. You're not, you can't win because you're not ready to, there's nobody ever wins from telling lies. I was like, that's pretty cool. I like it. And obviously- like I said, it pays off at the very end of the movie. Um, yeah, but if you had to cut something, you probably could have cut this anyway. Because I, I do think you need the mall stuff because it sets up the stone. It kind of is Wonder Woman's big reintroduction. Like every superhero needs that moment, even in a sequel. Yeah, where it's like yeah. they're back in action. So I think that was important. I guess I just wish you had more interesting choreography in the mall stuff. Like I, I, the mall is one of my least favorite events in the movie. I don't, I don't like the fighting here. I think it, I think it all just looks so cheesy. I, I didn't like it in the trailer, and and it looked even worse in the sequence of events in the film. I thought. I think the mall was better for establishing that it was in the 80s uh, than more so than the story itself. Yeah, I, I mean, I think also part of it is it is certainly a striking difference. The first one, all the same choreography was going on, except she's fighting against, like, the opposition in World War One. So it's certainly very different visually in a way that I think I probably preferred. But... I, and there's not a lot of action in this one, so I, I get that too. But I did like the choreography. I like how this version of Wonder Woman kind of is very floaty and she just slides around and she kind of uses her momentum in cool ways. I think the thing that threw me off for the choreography is, is the rope swinging inside. I like the rope swinging outside, but when she's when she does it in the confined area of a mall, it looked awkward. And like we've already, like I already said, the special effects I don't think look good in this movie. So having kind of an awkward uh, motion paired with poor special effects, I think just kind of took me out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I was a bit disappointed for like a $200 million budget movie. This The effects weren't great, but I will say I've always said that the effects weren't great in the first one either, As particularly the, like the V like the character models, whenever there's something about the first Wonder Woman, whenever stuff switched to digital character models, it looked like garbage. It looked terrible. And they kind of weirdly, it's like they have the same problem here. It's like whenever they switch to clearly not a stunt double, it's in effect. It just doesn't look good. I don't know why. Is it because they set everything in the day, which is different from a lot of stuff? So maybe that's part of it. I don't know. But I will agree. It's like some of the effects and the way like these CG characters move around is just not straight up not good. So I agree with that. Also, can we talk about how it was? It did make me laugh a little bit. I get it because she has a lasso. So it's like she can't take out these four guys at once. But she would basically tie up two of them. And then she would have to like untie them and then go after the other two. So it was like, oh, I guess those guys get away. But she made it work. She she captured them all. But it was funny, like watching her like tie them up and like, oh, fuck. I, and then leaving and then getting the other two. So I had fun with it. I had fun with it overall. I will throw in something positive, though. I do like the way... Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman kind of does crowd control. Like she's always so nice to the innocent people yeah. and she's smiling and she's sweet to the kids. So I, I think she really does embody that aspect of Wonder Woman perfectly. I'm with you there. And I like how she's, she notices and acknowledges, she acknowledges that there's innocent people around. Unlike other superheroes who are just like constantly just like smashing shit and like yeah. falling on random people. She actually takes into consideration there's like innocent people right there. So she better not hit them with anything. That's who Wonder Woman is as a character too. So I I'm really am glad that that is a focus of Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot when they're making this character. Yeah. Um. Also in this scene, we got to talk because it's the first time they introduced it. And this is something, it's one of those things we talk about in other reviews. I'm not going to shit on it. I didn't love the choice, but I, I literally can't complain about it because they had no choice. And it's this thing of making her anonymous and working in secret they had no choice because Zack snyder introduced wonder woman in the present day and she was a secret even though she's apparently been operating since world war one so it's like okay probably a weird choice and so now in this one i just felt it was a bit forced how they had to like have her like be a secret and like throw her tiara to destroy the cameras and it's like how is she like 
there's so many people seeing her like every day. So it, it just felt a bit forced and weird. They had to introduce that, but they had no choice because that's how they introduced the character in the modern day. So I didn't love that. Well, and speaking of that point, let's jump to the ending now. How does nobody in the world remember this event in the in the sequence of events in, in Zack Snyder's movies? I, I get it's it's not Patty Jenkins' fault, but she's broadcasting to the entire world. And Ben Affleck's not a young Batman, so he's alive, theoretically, for these sequence of events. And he doesn't remember oh my God, like, her Austin, voice or anything like that, you know? I was laughing so hard during that scene. I'm not even joking. I was... I actually thought they were going to do this whenever, you know, at the very end, whenever it's like she's Maxwell Lord's hearing all the wishes, you know, I honestly was like, oh, my God, they're going to do it. We're going to hear a little boy go. I wish my parents weren't dead. (laughs) (laughs) I really thought that was going to happen. I really did. Or or maybe we hear another voice go. I wish my planet didn't blow up. (laughs) (laughs) Young Clark Kent. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I wish that fat kid didn't see me pull that bus out of the water. (laughs) I wish my dad wasn't in jail. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So, agreed. It's not not Patty Jenkins' fault. Zack Snyder chose to do some weird shit, and so that's on him. But when you think about it in the scope of the DCEU, because this one does exist in the DCEU, it's weird to think that in the present day, nobody remembers this huge event where the entire world was broadcast was broadcasted to by an insane oilman, and then this, <laughs> this gold light comes on that on everybody's TV, and it's Wonder Woman's voice talking. Like it's just it's weird that nobody even re- would remember that. That was the weird part that it was just a gold light. I was like, why is it just a gold light? <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, I do want to get into the movie's pacing. Um, we've kind of touched on it a little bit already, but this movie is two and a half hours long. As we said, there is a super long intro on Themyscira. There's in a second intro in the mall. And then we also do have to devote a lot of time to Steve Trevor and Diana Prince's relationship because the first one really wasn't a setting for that to exist. So what do you guys think? Is there a good amount that can be cut in this movie? I don't know. Yeah, I really like Chris Pine's performance in this movie. Uh, so do I. Yeah. So do I. And I like all of the parts he's in. And I pl- think he plays a good sidekick. So I don't know. I liked all of his stuff. I think there was more stuff with the with the villains that probably could have been cut that was just dragged on for a long time. See, I, I almost think as much as I love Chris Pine as Steve Trevor, it it's so it was so weird when they announced that he was going to be in this um, because it just almost felt like they couldn't commit to what they chose to do in the first one. And then and I, I'm glad he's in it. I think he's funny and, and, and one of the better parts in the movie. But at the same time, it felt like a lot of the stuff that we get with him could have been used to maybe establish Barbara Minerva as Cheetah more. Yeah, I think the most glaring thing, and it sucks because he's great in it, but I mean, you just cut Steve Trevor out of it. It is one of that. It is that weird like domino effect, though, because then it's like if you cut Steve Trevor, then do you have to cut Max Lord? Because if there's if this if there's this weird opportunity for Diana to make one wish, that's what it is. It's for Steve Trevor to come back. So like, I get it. I'm not complaining about the writing or anything. It's just oh, I think Austin and Keith are both right. It's just. Once he is back, which is pretty early in the movie, so much time is spent because you're right. It's like they never were in a relationship. I get that they're in love and all that stuff, but they basically just said that right before he died. And up until then, they just had like one night together, kind of flirted and all that stuff. So they had to really kind of lean into it. Like She even calls him like her boyfriend at one point. So that's kind of where they're at now. So things are different. So you have to put a lot of time into it where I wish it could have gone into Barbara Minerva specifically. So. I don't I don't mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what you cut out. I mean, like we said, I guess you could have come out, cut out the intro with Themyscira and then just start at the mall. I think it would have the movie still would have worked. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I know you guys. I don't know about you, Austin, but I know, Matthew, you said that you really liked Max Lord as a villain. I'm not saying I disliked everything about him, but you think what if they could have just cut him out completely and just made Barbara Minerva the main villain in this movie? What, do, what would y'all think about that? Cheetah is one of Wonder Woman's main villains. Um, so, I mean, you definitely could make a movie around her being the villain. Max Lord is also another another major villain, though, in her rogues gallery. So I, I'm glad. I Like I said, I like what they did with Max Lord. I, I think using the stone to kind of do a twist on his powers is cool. I just don't think we had enough time to spent with either one of the villains, really. I would have loved to have more scenes of Barbara Minerva becoming Cheetah and maybe in her final form a little bit more, too. Yeah, yeah. That Even that part kind of seemed to defy the logic of the movie because she'd already made a wish. So she made another one at the end to become the apex predator. And I guess that their reasoning weird. I guess the reasoning was Barbara made a wish to the stone and now the stone has changed form. So I guess she gets another one. I, I didn't really get how that worked. But either way, 
Yeah, it's one of those things. It's like there's a lot that they could potentially cut out, but at the same time, it's weird because I did kind of everything makes sense. I did like the weird pairing whenever they announced the movie of Maxwell Lord and Cheetah. I was like, what? But it, it makes sense why you know that actually was the pairing of how the, the you know the story plays out, how the wish plays out specifically. Um, I think I think overall, to put it simply, we didn't need Chris Pine. He was great in the first one. It probably could have been cut out and we could have got more. We could have got also if they had cut him out, we could have got less kind of sad and almost like depressed Diana, which it would have been nice to see more moments like earlier in the movie of her being just kind of the wonder one we know. But at the same time, I guess it leads to a character arc. So I don't know. I'm, you know, we're proposing all these ideas, but I kind of like most of them. So overall, I think it just should have been paced better because it was too long, but there's not much I would cut out personally. Honestly, if you cut Steve Trevor, I don't think you need to do the Wishing Stone stuff then either. I think you can have That's what Max I'm Lord. saying, yeah. Yeah, you can have Max Lord with his original powers and then, or, or even just have him as a powerful businessman because he has that arc in the comics too. Then you can have Cheetah just as Cheetah, you know, like you don't need to see her become the apex predator. Um, so I, I guess there's a way to have a, have a different movie exist without Steve Trevor in this. I was wondering how they were going to bring Chris Pond's character back. Oh you know, I was, I was thinking like Steve Rogers so or clunky. Bucky Barnes kind of thing. It's like so bad. Frozen in ice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she just wishes him back. It's so weird that the first time they meet, he's this other guy. But then when Diana looks at him, she can see. She actually sees him in Chris Pine's body, right? Yeah, but I guess everyone else then sees the other guy, which is weird. And then it also is just weird that he shows up and he's like, hey, I'm here. I've got an apartment. I rode a, a mechanical bike. Like, it, it's very clunky the way he gets introduced <laughs> into the movie. Yeah. It's like, I dude, mean, you the had main... cars in the 40s. You could have had a car. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the main thing we got to talk about with that is just, first of all, she wished for Steve Trevor to be back. This is like the most powerful stone in the world. Why did the stone just not... It should just be he pops back up into in, in, in existence. It didn't need to be this weird thing where he his soul takes over the body of another. He should have just popped back up. And because, and I was so shocked because whenever they didn't do that and like they revealed that he's inhabiting this other body, my thought was, oh, I get it. Okay, okay. It's going to be this cool moment later in the movie where Diana finally is like, look, this is really fucked up. Like, I love you. You're the, you're the love of my life, but we're literally robbing this guy of his life that he's living because you're taking over his body. Like, we're robbing this guy's life. And I'm I'm basically having sex with this guy. And that's kind of a whole nother box of worms. But, um, and it's just weird because it never gets to that. Nobody, Chris Pine, Diana Prince, nobody addresses that it's weird that like he's taken over this body and they like this other guy's just gone. And so well, he does when look that, in the mirror and go, eh, I kind of like him. I kind of like this guy. And she's like, <laughs> me too. But he's no it's Steve Trevor. Um, so it, it's just really weird that they, they introduce this mechanic that never pays off at all at, until the final scene where they just awkwardly stand next to each other and have this garbage scene that shouldn't have been in the movie either. So. Yeah, it was weird. It was really weird how they brought him back. You <laughs> should just pop back up. I didn't get why they didn't do that. This is going to be an interesting point to bring up. Obviously, we've talked about it a lot now, but let's get some closure on this subject because I guess I'm the highest on it. I really think Max Lord... He may not be the best, but if he's not the best, he's the second best villain to date in the MCU. My favorite is still Black Mask. Um, so I think he might be no number one or number two. So let's. I want to get some final um, just points from you guys. What did you all like and not like about the character, plan, motivation, or just anything at all that goes into Max Lord as a character, including how Pedro Pascal fits into that puzzle? I like the beginning of him a lot. I like him like flirting with Barbara and all that and how he got the stone. And even his motivations with the stone, but something about and I, I don't, not just this movie, but a lot of other superhero movies, they always take it too far when it comes to the conflict in the movie. They always gotta. It starts off locally, and it always ends up internationally. In this one, um, the it it goes to the Russians almost nuking the United States, and United States almost nuking the Russians. Like, did it really have to go that far? I think it could have been more of like a local, or maybe just within the United States thing. Not. Not a worldwide thing. It just went really too far for me. And we're, we're just like, this is stupid. Yeah. And and that's kind of what I was going to say. I, I don't think he's the best DCEU villain. I think mine will probably stay with General Zod. I think he's great in, yeah. in Man of Steel. Um, and we can't forget about Doomsday. I mean, no, we can't. We can't. No. 
Um, <laughs> um, but no, like you said, Keith, I, I like Pedro Pascal's performance. I like the intro to his character. I, yeah. I like that we see him really kind of struggling with uh, his business and, and how he's very, very clear to state that he's not a con man. Um, like he seems really bought in on his vision for his company. The thing that I kind of hate the most too is, is I hate how quickly the stakes get raised with his character, like you said, Keith. And then I really hate how quickly they try and redeem his character too. Weird ending. Weird ending. Yeah, that's something you could have cut out. Probably just should have should have got rid of the son character just because it led to yeah. that weird resolution. But I did like him. Actually, I didn't think he would renounce the wish, so I like that he actually did. So that was kind of cool. Um, I agree with you guys. I think I I think the performance is fantastic. So I think, unlike Keith, I'm glad he was in this movie because he got to do something so different than I've ever seen him do, and I really appreciated that. I thought he was so. This mixture of slimy, fun, engaging, and just, like, I thought he was damn good in it. But I, I do agree when, you know, with those Wonder, Wonder Woman movies, I guess, when we get to that third act, that's where it, uh, that's where you lose me. And, yeah, I agree. I think I loved the scene where he goes to Egypt because there was a purpose. It's like I can actually get the amount of oil that I desire. I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. I like this. And I really love the toll it took where it's like the ancestral land. So it creates this wall that divides all of Egypt and like people can't get water anymore. It's like, oh my God. So I really like that. But then when I got to the president, that's where I was like, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> because it was weird that he, it's not about oil anymore. It's just, I want your power. And it's like, what are you going to do with it? So that was a bit odd. Um, and then the last thing I lo- the only other thing I liked at the ending was that he had the toll he started to ask for was just I, there's a, this amazing scene where uh, he's like, I grant that wish. I grant that wish. But I'm taking your health. I'm taking all of like your healthy organs. I'm taking that. So it was like this really cool thing that like allowed him to keep going. But other than that, it was just so goofy by the end watching him stand in this weird like a blue light as he's transmitting to the world, granting their wishes. So th- that's where it lost me. But up until then, I was pretty impressed with the villain. So. I guess I'm the highest on that, too. The transmitting to every TV thing felt awkward while watching it, and, and it looked even worse, I think, when he is standing in that blue light. Yeah, it looked I hated bad. all yeah. that. It reminded me of that <laughs> shitty live-action Peter Pan movie where they're all like, I do believe in fairies. I do. I do. I, I do. do. <laughs> and it's just this montage. That's what it reminded me of. <laughs> so stupid. Yeah. Um, and it's weird because I, on paper, it's kind of a cool idea. It's like, Okay, here's Max Lord. Here's what he can do with these wishes. He can only do one. So how is this guy going to become super, like, scary? Like, what's the most fucked up thing he could do? And I think they actually kind of nailed it. The most fucked up thing this guy could do would be to be able to transmit himself to the entire world to the point where if somebody's just kind of under their breath wishing for something, they grant it. And he'll take whatever the hell he wants in return. I was like, that's pretty cool. But it's one of those things where it just didn't look cool, the final product. Like, the idea was, but it was it was kind of just goofy i did mention that there was like a 20 minute sequence that i actually did think was fun and i think for me that is the white house stuff not necessarily the meeting with the president but the way uh wonder woman and and steve trevor run through the white house and they're fighting all the guards and the fight the first fight with barbara minerva i I thought i think it's better than the fight with cheetah um and and i I think that whole sequence is really fun i love her throwing the tiara and and kind of trying to have to learn how to fight all these guys without the use of her powers. I I think that's an awesome sequence. That's that was the cool thing about it. Yeah, the whole like her like we already talked about her thing was her powers were starting to be drained, but yeah, it led to some cool choreography and I really liked the slow-mo here actually kind of worked for me in this scene and how they kind of incorporated Steve Trevor as he's like making a shield with the lasso then he kind of just punches a couple dudes out behind it. I thought that was kind of cool. So I agree. Yeah. That was a highlight. And even though, the, again, the CG and like kind of the, the character models were not great, I did have a fun time watching the Egypt uh, chase. I thought that was kind of fun. I like that. That is, to me, where the slow motion looks egregious, though. In that yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. The, the running. Well, the slow-mo worked, was the worst whenever she's flying. <laughs> whenever she's flying, it looked pretty bad. <laughs> oh, I like the flying. I thought the flying actually looked pretty good. Yeah. No, I, didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't lo- I didn't love it personally, but um, yeah. So we did we did talk about the nukes um, and how kind of there are some tensions with the United States and Russia. Um, this is set in the 80s. So, of course, the Cold War is going to play uh, a factor here. Um, to me, I thought World War One was a great place to set the first one. The stakes feel very real because it is the war to end all wars. While it does get a little bit uh, jumbled at times, I did think they had a cool way to use the gods meddling in, in human affairs aspect of uh, Wonder Woman's story. Here, when they announced it was going to be set in the 80s, I wasn't wild about that. I think I'm kind of burnt out on 80s being featured in media. 
Um, I was hoping to get more Cold War stuff than we got in this film. And I think the way they use the Cold War here is kind of just a, a cheesy way to raise the stakes for this movie with all the nukes and stuff. It was a shame, too, because like we said, I thought kind of the progression of Max Lord as a character with how far he was taking this wishes was stakes enough. So I know Keith also mentioned it. It's just I want to hear I want to hear more of your thoughts. But the nuke stuff felt like a very forced, I agree, like stakes when I feel like we already had them. So anyway, Keith, what about you? Yeah, I don't know. I guess I kind of covered most of it earlier uh, with the whole stakes being high. Yeah, I just thought that was way too far fetched for the story. I feel like it should have stayed more more local and not such a oh the world's gonna end kind of thing. I just hate how movies kind of just jump to that all the time. I like more regional. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why it always has to be some save the world kind of thing all the time. Yeah, well, to that point, it's like it was set up to be smaller scale than World War One, which I liked. And then it's just like right away at the end, it's like, oh, no, it's all so bad. It's like, oh, OK, <laughs> with these with the nukes and Cold War stuff. So yeah. it felt way too forced. Well, and and it's it's way more natural in the first one, because if. Yeah. If, uh, it, yeah. And if the Axis kind of gains the powers that Ares offering them, they're going to be unstoppable and they really are going to take over the world. So it just it's way more easy to, to fit that in and have the stakes already be high because of the setting in that one. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's much more natural based on the setting. So. Speaking of the setting, I mean, it sounds like Austin, would your ideal, I want to, I guess I want to know your guys is where could they have set this that you would have liked more? Because it's like, would the, would, would the 80s have been fine as long as they didn't hit the nukes for you? Or would you have wanted something else? I, I, I was never really too interested in, in the 80s, especially because the 80s don't really, other than the mall sequence, they don't really have that big of an impact on the story. Like you could have yeah. done the story in any time frame, I feel like. I since they did announce the eighties though, I really thought the Cold War was gonna play a bigger part here. I thought maybe like Diana was working with the US government and the like I d I don't know really what I expected. I guess I thought the Cold War was gonna be more of a focus of this movie. Maybe they could have done like instead of the eighties eighties was cool, but maybe instead of the eighties they could have done maybe like the late sixties hippie era in Los Angeles or something like that. Like during the Vietnam the height of the Vietnam War stuff. Yeah, and they could have done the Vietnam War. And that would have felt pretty different from World War One, I, I feel like. Yeah, I was always so convinced they would just do World War Two, both for the branding. You could just call it WW two. <laughs> so I thought they were gonna do that. <laughs> um, so I really expected that. And in eighty four I agree with Austin. I was never down. We have way too much eighties stuff, I feel like. It's fun, but here it didn't really play too much besides the mall sequence and then just I think the pretty amazing um wardrobe department did a great job with with the clothing and all that stuff but besides that not really and honestly like you also could have had max lord be the villain in modern day i mean there's an arc in the comics oh, yeah. where max lord helps fund the justice league so like yep. that could have been a way to tie in to the justice league movie too like it's possible to do that as well yeah they also could have done that because at that point we had gotten the origin so they could have jumped to modern day earlier and it sounds like both patty jenkins and gal gadot like really want to be in modern day it sounds like they have zero interest in being in the past like now so i wonder if that was something before the second one but maybe they were mandated to do this i don't know um modern day yeah they could have done the exact same story it wouldn't have made that much difference so i don't know i don't know kind of seemed like an odd choice it just uh, they like they have really interesting characters in this one and i just they just didn't really have a whole lot of interesting stuff to do i don't think like i just cheetah's a cool character especially in the animated series and she's a really powerful Wonder Woman villain, and she really is just kind of sidelined in this one. And, and Max Lord's a cool character, too. And the way they use the Wishing Stone with him is cool. But ultimately, when it when it gets tied into the Cold War in such a clunky way, it, it really soured my my taste on him. It just didn't have that scary of a presence. I just think villain, they need to be a little bit scarier. Like, I wasn't, I didn't feel scared of Max Lord. He just felt like an innocent dude that was just using this stone to, you know, for whatever. And then same with... Uh, Cheetah, she, she didn't feel, like you said, Austin, she just kind of got sidelined. You really didn't get to see the full power of her in this movie. It's also weird, too, because in the Cheetah fight, like, Diana's willing to kill Cheetah. She holds her underwater, electrocutes her. Another way to get out of having to give your wishes is to, is to destroy the stone, which I guess in turn would mean killing Max Lord, but she's not willing to do that. But she is willing to shock and electrocute Cheetah, who really is just kind of like she's been slighted in this as well because her wishes had an unintended effect on her losing her humanity. So like that whole sequence of events feels weird to me that she's she's willing to try and kill Cheetah, who's really kind of a, a victim in this story, but she's not willing to try and kill Max Lord. That's a good point. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure if she didn't kill Max Lord because maybe she saw through the lasso the whole son like trying to find his dad thing. So maybe she was like. 
maybe he'll renounce his wish and go do that. I, I, I wasn't able to track how that worked, but you're right. It, now thinking about it, it is weird that she basically, she gave Barbara a chance to renounce her wish. She didn't. And then she basically just tries to drop a toaster in the bathtub. <laughs> so it, it, it was, it was really weird, but then Cheetah's totally fine, which I guess makes sense because she has Wonder Woman's powers. Um, but then I guess she did renounce her wish because then she looks like Kristen Wiig again in the last shot. So I was just very confused by how both villains motivations and all all their ending to their story happened it was it was both odd and kind of left a bad taste in my mouth unfortunately so the last thing i want to bring up is is matt you've you've kind of touched on this how it seems like patty jenkins and gal gadot both really want to be in modern day um and this story really does kind of feel like a studio mandated sequel like it seems like the studio really doesn't know what they want to do yet with the modern day characters so they're like you can't do the present days but we do want a sequel so they kind of had to scramble to come up with this story um, I know like the DCEU is trying to get away from the whole everything's connected and, and all the movies are going to tie together. Um, I think Shazam proved that's possible to do. You can do these side stories and still have a really interesting and fun story. So what, what are you guys looking for from these movies? Do you want them to all fit together in the DCEU? Do you just want good movies? Um, like, how do you guys kind of want this to go? I don't think they have to fit together, but I do want good stories. And I don't think they have to be two and a half hours long. I'm cool with having an hour and a half movie if it's a if it's a good story and a good action sequence. I think the biggest issue for me is this one just feels really forced, especially the story and, and, and what we got here. Yeah, it worked for me, so I can't complain that much. I certainly don't think it needs to all fit together as clean as it does in Marvel and stuff like that. So I kind of like that they basically just have these weird team-up movies occasionally, like BVS and Justice League and obviously the Zack Snyder version coming. Um, but then mostly it's kind of like their origins and now their sequels have little to nothing to do with the interconnected stuff, which kind of makes more sense and seems more realistic. So I like that. Um, and as long as they make good movies, which I think they can, then I'm totally down for that. It would be cool, you know, like, you know, a few years from now, if they announce like a Justice League 2 or something. So it's like it doesn't need to like the purpose of it doesn't need to like connect everything, but it would be cool to see like all these characters after we've seen more sequels and origin movies with them to have them come together again in some interesting way. I would like to see them interact again. Um, but if their standalones are, are, you know, are just that are standalone, as long as they're good, fun and interesting, like I kind of found this one to be, then I'm okay with that. So that's where I'm at. Obviously, again, this one didn't work for a lot of people, it seems like. So I, I can't fault that. It seems like maybe they could have made some better choices in terms of the pacing and the story they picked. So yeah, I don't know. I, they're doing they're doing the opposite of Marvel for sure. What's your favorite part of this movie, Matt? My favorite part is Max Lord. I really he really worked for me. I thought Pedro Pascal was great, and I genuinely loved the build up to how it was just this stone that he coveted to him becoming the stone, and then the stakes that leads to minus minus the whole nuke thing. I liked the whole idea of him transmitting and like like. I guess I was the opposite of Keith. I actually did find it wasn't that I found him scary, but I found what he could do scary, which kind of worked for me as the idea for a villain. And I, there was also this great moment where, you know, she does renounce her wish. And I love the final moment she had with Steve Trevor. I really liked Barbara Minerva's introduction. Like Keith, I really did love the first act of the movie. Um, I guess my interest, unlike Wonder Woman, the first one, my interest did start waning earlier in the movie than the third act, like in the original but I really did like a lot about this one. So, yeah, it definitely worked for me more than a lot of people, it sounds like. Well, it does sound like we are for sure going to get a Wonder Woman 3. Um, if it's on HBO Max, it sounds like Patty Jenkins will not be returning. But uh, let's say we come back to a perfect world. Patty Jenkins is back. What are you guys hoping for from the third one? I hope I hope no Chris Pine, even though I love him. I hope no Chris Pine. I think it would be really cool if they did the villain Cersei. And I think that would also pre prevent a really cool opportunity for Dr. Fate to enter the DCEU as well. Yeah, that sounds cool. Um, Keith, do you have any ideas of what would appeal to you? Even just like differences from this one? I do hope it's shorter. I don't need a two and a half hour long movie. <laughs> Keith doesn't want any Din Djarin in there either. <gasps> no, Pedro? Pedro can come back if he wants. I don't care. Just, <laughs> But yeah, I don't need a, a big international save the world story. I'm, I, I'd rather see more of like a local... Gotham or Metropolis kind of story. I think if it's modern day, it would actually be Paris. I think that's where she's active now, oh, is Paris. Oh, yeah. Well, whatever city it is, more of a, it's like a, a city conflict, more so than like a save the world conflict. I, I would like that too. I think it'd be cool to see Diana like 
um, active in a, in a city that she sees as her own, kind of like Batman has Gotham and Superman has Metropolis. So I think that'd be really cool to, just to have a localized story and in whatever city they choose to put her in. Yeah, I'm definitely on board with most of that. I want to see a modern movie. It sounds like that's the direction they're leaning towards. I'd love to see, you know, like a post-Justice League Wonder Woman operating and what that means. And it sounds like, yeah, Paris would probably be a part of that. I'd also love to see more of the Amazonian stuff from the first one come back into play and kind of like a maybe trilogy um, cap off, if you will. I'd like maybe the threat of the third one is directly threatening Themyscira and the Amazons and her family. So maybe for the first time in like forever, Diana has to actually go back and her basically her whole thing from the first one being the god killer weapon. Maybe her returning to the Amazons, it has this kind of cool thematic resonance and she's reclaiming that whole idea. Maybe she has to reclaim the throne in some fashion. I don't know. But I would like I like if the threat was more about the Amazons and maybe she has to leave where she's been operating to go back to save that, even though she hasn't been there in like a hundred plus years. So I think that could be kind of cool too. And honestly, that could tie into my idea too of having Cersei be the villain and, and maybe Doctor Fate has to help her get back to Themyscira. That could be cool. Have Cersei kill uh the mom, the Connie Nielsen character, who's great. But that could be some good stakes. So maybe do something like that. I don't know. I hope we have a way to get more Robin Wright as action. I love her in that Amazon armor. She's bad. Yeah, I don't. I don't want any. I don't want any Chris Pine flashbacks. But even though Robin Wright died in the first one, we need we need some Robin Wright flashbacks. I think. Hell yeah, yeah. yeah. Before we end our discussion here, let's talk about um uh, the ending credit scene with uh, Linda Carter coming back, who played the original Wonder Woman. She's playing Hysteria. What'd y'all think about that? Cool moment for her, for sure. To see her back. I don't. I kind of hope it doesn't lead anywhere, though. I, I don't really want to see a Wonder Woman Osteria movie. I just hope this was like a nice little thing for fans that they threw in there. That's, that's, what, I was thinking. that's what it felt like to me. That was a cool scene, though. Before we saw her face, it was cool seeing this legendary Amazon warrior defending against clearly the Spartans. That was pretty cool to watch. So weird, though, that that armor was apparently held off all of mankind and then Cheetah yeah. rips it off in two seconds. And also, I did think it was lame that it was just sitting in Diana's apartment and basically Chris Pine's like, what's that? And it's like, oh, I found it. It's like, okay. <laughs> and then she just like the story behind it was so cool. And then she's basically like, whenever I came here, I found it. I was like, okay. And then she wears it and it looks pretty badass, but it, it kind of felt like. I kind of felt like there was a more of a buildup like that was going to have with the armor, but not really. And then she does. It's not like that becomes her new armor. Like she's wearing her classic stuff at the end. Um, so it kind of felt like it was more so leading to the mid credit thing where it introduced Asteria Linda Carter, which so cool for so many fans of all ages. And yeah, I, I don't think it's setting up any major role or anything. I think it's just more of a cool thing. So I did thought that, I thought that was a cool ending for the movie. Um, but speaking of that, I mean, I'm curious before we get into our like kind of final wrap up here we talked a little bit about the future so because for me being someone that liked the movie i'm okay like i mentioned with like the aquaman sequel the flash or i feel like the flash origin will be more in lines with some of the origins we've gotten the aquaman maybe it'll be a bit more along these lines in terms of standalone but the final thing i want to ask you guys is is there anything specific that you're looking forward to in the future that maybe is influenced by this movie? Or is there, is there just any of the future DC stuff that you're excited to see? When they said they were going to Egypt in this movie, I really thought they were finding a way to tie this into Black Adam. I really thought we were headed that way, but we didn't um, really get any of that stuff. Since I'm probably the least educated when it comes to DC stuff, I got a question for you guys. Ask us, Keith. I want to see Deathstroke. Where, when is he coming Ooh. in? Is he going to come in at all? He's going to be in the Snyder Cut, Keith. So he will be in the Snyder Cut. And yeah. Joe Manganiello is going to be playing him. Yeah. But it's probably just a, a cameo. We'll see. I mean, it is four plus hours, so there is a lot of time that he could come in. <laughs> so we'll see. Um, I love Deathstroke. I love Joe Manganiello. I, and again, we talked about this back in our like original episodes of this show, which, by the way, if you're a DCEU fan, we did our first literally our first episodes of this show were talking about Man of Steel, BBS, and Justice League, or Justice League, as Reddit always says. Um. But along those lines, I'm curious, man. I'm really curious how the Snyder Cut will influence the DCEU. Like, if it's really great, people love it and really popular and does, like, huge numbers for HBO Max, which it will, by the way. Um, 
will that change some of the projects that they're working on? Could we get like a Deathstroke if people love him in that? Like it could change everything genuinely. Like if there's a character in that that wasn't in the original cut that just pops up and people like it, we could see more of it. So that is kind of a big thing to think about. That really could change a lot of the things going forward, I feel like. And they also have kind of let those little inklings come out about how maybe the Snyderverse will only exist on HBO Max and the theatrical stuff will be different. So I, I, I don't think they really know what they want to do yet. As long as we get another Pitbull Africa cover in a Aquaman 2, <laughs> that's, that's all I, that's all I need. What about the trench? Are you guys excited for the trench? No, no, nobody is. <laughs> <laughs> nobody cares about the Aquaman spinoff about where Nicole Kidman was found. <laughs> we don't care. <laughs> okay, well, we, let's go ahead and start wrapping this up. But guys, there are nine DCEU films. We've talked about nine Star Wars films, and we did some rankings there, so we figured we might as well go ahead and rank these nine DCEU films. I love it. I love these rankings. I'm excited. So, Keith, I know you haven't seen Shazam or Birds of Prey, so you'll be ranking seven. Do you want to go first? All right. Number one, Wonder Woman. Number two, Man of Steel. Number three, Aquaman. Number four, BVS. Number five, Justice League. Number six. Suicide Squad, and number seven, Wonder Woman 84. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wowee. <laughs> I did not expect that. That's a, that's a classic Keith right there. It, it seems like he doesn't like the movie. It seems like he doesn't like it, but it, that doesn't mean he like thinks it's the worst thing in the world. But still, it's like right there in his ranking, he proves it. Austin, let's get, let's get, let's get a different opinion here. I, I want to hear... Someone who has that Shazam, who has that Birds of Prey in there. I want to see where those rank for you as well. Number one for me is also Wonder Woman. And then we've got Man of Steel, Shazam, BVS, Aquaman, Birds of Prey, Wonder Woman 84, Justice League, and Suicide Squad. Wow. All right. I like that. All right. So again, to preface, over half of these movies are terrible. So let's go ahead and start at the bottom. <laughs> number nine is Suicide Squad. Number eight is Justice League. Number seven is Batman v Superman. Number six is Aquaman. Number five is Shazam. Number four is Wonder Woman 84. Number three is Man of Steel. Number two is Wonder Woman. And number one for me. I just had too much damn fun. It's Birds of Prey. Really? Dude, I... Birds of Prey is fine, but man, I did not enjoy it as much as you did. I was shocked when you told me you liked it. I liked it. Okay, before we get out of here, we also got to hand out some awards. Keith has never known the rules for this segment. This is a segment where we give an award for anything in this episode. And since Keith hated it so much, I'm excited to hear his <laughs> award today. Keith, start us off. Yeah, the uh, Best Live Strong Award goes to Mr. Chris Pine for trying to ride that shitty bicycle. That was, I love that. I love that. It was a workout bike, right? Yeah. I thought that was pretty funny. I like that. I like that. Austin, what about you? I'm going to give the Double Decker Award to Patty Jenkins and Wonder Woman 84 as a whole. It felt like Patty Jenkins came into my house, took a shit in the top part of my toilet, and stunk up my Christmas. <laughs> wow. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. Nice. We'll send Patty that award soon. I think it might make her rethink some things. All right, Matt, go ahead and close out today. What is your final award? Hmm. My final award, I think, is going to go to the best television personality, and it's going to Maxwell Lord for his great line of, life is good, but it could be better. I did like that line. I love how Me he kept too. doing it to get people to recognize him, too. <laughs> I know. That was good. That was good. I want to see him on my TV. Get Jim Adler, the Texas Hammer, out of here. I want Maxwell Lord on my TV today. Alrighty, everybody. Well, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never miss any of our upcoming content. At The Arnies is our social, and thearnies.media is the website. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, that really is the best way to help us continue to grow the show. We will be back on Thursday for our year-end special, the Arn Academy Awards. I'm excited. I was looking at our little list a little bit earlier, and I think we have some fun categories. So it's going to be a fun show. Looking forward to that one. And I guess other than that, I mean, I'm, I'm so used to saying kind of our spiel about the end of the year. But at this point, we only have one more that Austin mentioned. So I got I to gotta tease, I guess, some 2021 content. It's going to be a better year. It's going to be our first full year. So right off the top. No Time to Die is coming out eventually, I guess. So we're starting off the year with our next series in review, 
which is going to be Bond. So, of course, we will be starting in the first week of January with Casino Royale. We also have a discussion on Sound of Metal, the Amazon Prime movie starring Riz Ahmed. And like I've mentioned in the past, our next series interview, akin to what we did for The Mandalorian and The Boys Season 2, respectively, is we will be breaking down each and every episode of WandaVision when they come out starting in mid-January. So look forward to all that good stuff. And Matt, what will we be called when we talk about WandaVision? Oh, we're going to be the Wanda's talking the vision. Hell yeah. And as always, go check us out on Instagram at the Yarnies. Feel free to direct message us your thoughts on this episode. Did you like Wonder Woman 84 better than I did? <laughs> also, go check out our other episodes on uh, the DC Universe. Like we have Justice League and uh, BVS and Man of Steel. And yeah, look forward to the Arn Academies coming up. I'm excited. Send us your rankings, too. We want to see your full ranking of the DCEU to see where Wonder Woman falls for you in comparison to ours. All righty, everybody. We'll see you on Thursday. Have a great week. Life is good, but it could be better. Bye.